So the subject I'm going to be speaking about is education in the derech of Hasidut and Reb Shlomo. When we say Hasidut, it's so important to remember where it comes from, from the Baal Shem Tov. There's a lot of different schools of Hasidut that have developed and have their own lineage and their own Torah and their own customs. And the Baal Shem Tov is not mentioned all that much. There's other paths of Hasidut where the name and the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov are invoked all of the time. And I've become very, very aware over the last few years how much of what we call Hasidut really goes back to the Baal Shem Tov. He, his Torah was uh, path-breaking, was revolutionary, was radical. And everything that followed from Hasidut really follows from the path that the Baal Shem Tov forged for all of us. And I find that in our generation, in our experience, Reb Shlomo was very much a Baal Shem Tov type figure. Not only in what he taught and how he taught it, but even the circumstances, the sociological and the historical circumstances of when each one of them, as it were, burst on the scene, are very, very similar. And the Baal Shem Tov revealed himself it was after two very major events. One, it was only approximately a hundred years, uh, actually less. It was 50 years when he was born. I'll, I'll go back and I'll compromise. 75 years after the Shabbatite Sea fiasco, which... I don't know how much we appreciate today how much that traumatized the Jewish people. It was perhaps in all of Jewish history there was never a figure that uh, well over half of the Jewish people really saw as a, as a messianic figure and had their hopes so high that they were waiting literally Tomorrow, Shabbat Tzvi is going to reveal himself and we're all going back to Jerusalem and the Messianic era. And when that whole movement collapsed, it left a tremendous mark on the Jewish psyche. And also, the Baal Shem Tov came after a whole series of, of horrific pogroms in Poland and Russia. Really, as far as numbers of people who were killed, uh, outshadowed the Crusades tremendously. And when the Baal Shem Tov came on the scene, the Jewish people were downtrodden, traumatized, I wouldn't say hopeless, but uh, 
It was one of the lowest periods in, in, in Jewish history. And when the Baal Shem, when, when Reb Shlomo came on the scene, it was only ten years after the Holocaust. And even though we had the state of Israel, still we were only ten years after the Holocaust. And in both cases, at the time of the Baal Shem Tov, uh, there was a tremendous gap between the, let's call it the learned elite and the common people. And at the time of Reb Shlomo, there was a total gap between the Orthodox world and the rest of the Jewish world, the vast rest of the Jewish world. Huge, huge gap. So they're very, they're very, very similar uh, parallels to when they came upon the scene. So what I'd like to do today is, I did this fairly randomly. This is not written in stone. Uh, many, many ideas could be added to this. But I try to take ten seminal ideas of the Baal Shem Tov and, to, com and to, to discuss what he meant by them and then see what Reb Shlomo did with these same concepts but most importantly to then apply it to an educational model in other words how we can use these concepts not just as teaching but as a model for what Jewish education should be and needs today. And that is really one of the, I think the most important thing of this conference is that it's true, Reb Shlomo's music, we all know the impact and the mark it's made in the Jewish world. But it's really time to get Reb Shlomo's teachings in the world. The Reb Shlomo's music, as important as it is to us, this is my personal opinion, was a vehicle for his teachings. It wasn't an end in, them, in themselves. Now, obviously, when, when we do Nusach, Kalbach, Kabbalah Shabbat and Shabbat and Hallel and, uh, and, and Yom Tov. Okay, it's true. The music becomes the, the means and the end. But really, if, 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 if you went to a Shlomo concert, what he really wanted to accomplish is he wanted to teach. And so the music was the means to which he would teach. And therefore, that's why he sang his stories. He didn't tell his stories. He sang his stories. So, it's really time that the, the main messages of Reb Shlomo get into the world. And Baruch Hashem, in Israel, there are many, many books out now of Reb Shlomo's teachings. Finally. Finally. And they're coming out more and more. 
So that's what I, I hope to accomplish in a very short amount of time, is to take a concept from the Baal Shem Tov, see what Rav Shlomo did with it, and then see how, how the teaching is, a, is an educational tool that could be used in elementary schools, in yeshivot, in hillels, in outreach programs, adult education, whatever, whatever the circumstances that they are, education across the board. So I'm going to just start with the, the, probably the three most important words in the entire Hasidic movement is Vayafutsu Mayanatecha Chutza. For those who know, the Baal Shem Tov had an Aliyah to Neshama, had an elevation of soul on, on Rosh Hashanah, and he, his soul was elevated to a very high place, and he was in the presence of the soul of the Mashiach. And he said, Master, when are you coming? And the, and, and the Mashiach answered, When your teachings, which are a wellspring of, of, of living waters, reach the farthest reaches. So this is the source of what we call outreach. Hasidus in in essence is an outreach movement. Now outreach means to everyone. Doesn't matter religious, not religious. The idea of reaching out to people and spreading the light and the depths of Torah. So just to show this, in in my eyes, the 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 Lubavitcher Rebbe took these three words and created a spiritual empire that reaches from Alaska to Honolulu to Tokyo to Bangkok to Buenos Aires to the Ukraine to, to South Africa the entire world in other words the Lubavitcher Rebbe took Bayafutsu Mayanatecha Chutza and he created the, the literal reality of institutions everywhere. But we have to give credit where credit is due because before the first Chabad house opened, there was the House of Love and Prayer. The House of Love and Prayer paved the way. One of the most important teachings of the Baal Shem Tov was that the the Nefesh Elokit, the soul, is a chalak me'eloka me'ma'al mamash, is a part of God above mamash. I believe the altar Rebbe added the word mamash. Baal Shem Tov taught that the soul is a part of God above mamash, for real. This, this, this was the basis of all of the teachings of the Baal Shem Tov, that, that the soul is an actual part of God. And the Baal Shem Tov used to teach, if you grab onto a part, you grab onto the whole. So, like Shabbos, 
we say Shabbos is one sixtieth of the world to come. But if you grab on to the one sixtieth, you're connected to the whole. If we develop and open up our divine inner soul, then we are holding on to the essence of God. So, how did Reb Shlomo use this? Perhaps one of my favorite teachings from Reb Shlomo, I've quoted this a thousand times, and it's, it's not enough. And I'm sure you all heard this also. He used to say, maybe all Yidden are not holy. We're human beings. We all make mistakes. We sin. We're off the mark. But every Jew is the holy of holies. I'll say that again so everyone gets this. Maybe every Jew is not holy, but every Jew is the holy of holies. And this is that spark of God within us from above. And of course, with the Baal Shem Tov and Rav Shem, these were not just teachings. How is that translated into an educational model? So we know, uh, either firsthand or, or people who didn't know Rav Shlomo, but have heard how he treated every human being, Jew and non-Jew, as if they were a spark of God. He treated everyone as a divine image. It didn't matter if they were a beggar in the park, if they were a barefoot hippie, if they were a, a distinguished rabbi, if they were... Uh, you name it. The whole... Everyone. In other words, Reb Shlomo, it wasn't just a teaching. He translated this into an educational model. And of course, for a teacher, an educator... This is, this is critical to true education. If, if a teacher has 40 students in his class and he looks at the class as a, a monolith of 40 students and he doesn't see that each, each one needs to be treated individually and touched individually and reached individually, then the education is going to be very, very superficial. So as a model of education, this is first and foremost that everyone that we come in contact with, we have to understand that a spark of God is standing in front of us. Or as Rabbi Shalman would say, no matter how much the diamond is covered with, with dust, and dirt, it just needs to be shined off a little bit. A second teaching from the Baal Shem Tov, which is less known, but just as important, is that the Baal Shem Tov taught that every person has a spark of Mashiach in them. Now, along with Hasidut being, in essence, an outreach program, Hasidus, by its very nature, nature is messianic. There's, there's, no, there's no doubt about it. That the Baal Shem Tov 
was trying to activate and bring closer the the messianic times. And for us, what does that mean that we all have a spark of Mashiach? What it means is each of us has a spark of leadership within us. The Jewish people are called a nation of Kohanim. And it doesn't mean that we're a nation of priests. That's how it's translated. But what it really means is we're a nation of leaders. That our mission is to be a light unto the nations. And this spark of Mashiach, what does Mashiach do? Mashiach comes and he leads the world like Moshe Rabbeinu. He comes and he leads like David Melech. But the Baal Shem Tov taught that every person has this messianic spark. And I learned from my, my other Rebbe of Yitzhak Ginsburg that how, how will the Mashiach appear? He says when every person, when enough people have activated and realized their own messianic potential, it will create a critical mass of spiritual energy on the planet and that will bring Mashiach. The Mashiach, in essence, is a reflection of the combination of all of our individual Messianic sparks. So, how did Reb Shlomo use this? So, Reb Shlomo, as everyone knows, encouraged everyone to develop their innate talents. How many times did he tell us, don't let anyone clip your wings? Uh, he said that over and over. If you have a talent, use it. And that using of our talent, that is our messianic spark. That is our vehicle for, for changing the world, for improving the world, for tikkun olam. Then there's the, the idea of joy. We know that when the Baal Shem Tov began teaching, as I mentioned, the Jewish people were so downtrodden. It was, it was at that point, 1,700 years of Gullus. There was no light at the end of the tunnel. No one could see any light at the end of the tunnel. Nonetheless, the Baal Shem Tov said, we have to serve God with joy. In fact, that's what that's the, the motto of the Karlbach Shul. Serving God with joy. So that sounds to us not like, like such a radical idea. But when the Baal Shem Tov came on the scene, most people, there was very little to be joyous about, at least from an outside perspective. Things were, were very, very bad. Nonetheless, the Baal Shem Tov taught this is this is not the way to serve God. And of course, he brought, he renewed. It's not like he, he created this idea. Can I relate a personal story? That when we were on the Moshav, this is 
maybe five, six, seven years into learning with Rabbi Shlomo and learning Hasidus and learning about joy. Uh, on Shabbos afternoon, I went for a walk by myself in the forest around the Moshav and I sat down in a forest and it was in the springtime and everything was green and there were thousands of red poppies, kalaniyot. And I'm sitting there and it's absolute quiet and I remember what felt like at least I experienced true joy for the first time. I was, I was engulfed in total bliss. It was Shabbos, it was Eretz Yisrael, it was springtime and I felt and I remember thinking I've never experienced joy before. Like it says in the, in the Mishnah, anyone who didn't experience Simcha Beit Shoeva in the temple has never experienced joy. That's how I felt. For me, it was, it, it was a paradigm shift. So I'm sure the Baal Shem Tov had an experience where it became clear to him that this is what the world needed. So everyone knows what Reb Shlomo did with with joy. But as an educational tool, Litsarenu, most Jewish education does not take place in an atmosphere of joy. It just doesn't. But it's becoming recognized more and more how important it is. That there, there, for, for young people, to really be able to integrate what Torah is all about, there, there has to be joy and there has to be warmth. It said about the Shpoli Zedi that he was considered on fire. He was one of these fiery Rebbe's. So someone once asked him, what's the source of all of your, your passion, your fire? He said, when I was a, a young boy, I was brought to the Baal Shem Tov and he put his hand on my heart and he blessed me to be a Varma Yid to be a warm Jew he said I've been on fire ever since as an educational tool this is is critical is critical uh, everyone wants to be in a warm loving joyous atmosphere and therefore, it doesn't matter if it's formal education. Everyone thinks, ah, that we can accomplish in informal education. But it's not true. We can do it in formal education also. There can be music, there can be joy, there can be warmth. And everyone knows, everyone knows what a difference it makes as far as receiving education where it goes one ear and out another or the kind of education that goes straight into the heart like the, the Shpola Zaidi and it never leaves right can you imagine the Baal Shem Tov put his hand for one minute maybe less 30 seconds and he's he's been on fire ever since another key revelation of the Baal Shem Tov was importance of prayer then as well as now hopefully it's changing 
for the vast majority of the Jewish world, prayer was was an obligation of an individual and a community that had to be done, and people do do it loyally and are, are devoted and dedicated to it. But it's an obligation, and therefore, usually the the quicker we can fulfill our obligation, the better. And as we know, when the Baal Shem Tov burst on the scene, this is not the way to daven. This is not what God wants. Just like the prophets came and said, God doesn't want your sheep and your oxen and your cows. That's not what God wants. God wants your heart. I would say that Reb Shlomo invested more of his energy in trying to teach and, and reveal and spread this type of joyous davening. Perhaps more than anything else he did. This is what, this is what he wanted people to learn. And as we can see in the last ten years, we see the mark that it made. As we know, except for a few places, Reb Shlomo would come for a Shabbaton. He must have done literally thousands of Shabbatons over 50 years. So that's 2,500 Shabbases. And every Shabbos was pretty much a Shabbaton somewhere. But the next week when he had moved on, people went back to davening the way they davened. Because everyone thought only Reb Shlomo could do this. After he passed away, so simultaneously, his students around the globe realized we have to carry this on. And so therefore, of the last 10 years, this has probably been the greatest mark is what we call Karlbach minions. This is where we see the impact the most, and that's because Reb Shlomo put most of his energy into that. We see that that which came out of it. People were singing his songs when he was alive. Everywhere. So the fact that people are singing his songs it's not as much of a chiddush. It's not such a novelty. But the fact that his way of davening has spread everywhere, that's the mark of how much energy he put into it that that would last. So the same thing in education especially with elementary, junior, and senior high, especially in yeshivot, where they daven every day. And unfortunately, it, it, it leaves a bad taste in most of the students' mouths. What a shame. It's just, we daven from 7.30 to 8, and that's it. And you have to be there. And we check the, you know, if, if, if the marks of the tefillin are there to make sure that you, you davened. It's... As part of a curriculum, not only making davening a richer, deeper, more joyous experience, but learning about davening. I remember Reb Shlomo, when people used to talk during Zemirot on Shabbos, would get so upset. How can you talk during Zemirot? People remember, he would bang on the table, and he'd be like, how can you talk? And then he would soften, and he would start teaching us the words of his mouth, like, yeah. the vote. 
Gewalt. Okay, we're moving on. The Balsamtov opened up Kabbalah to the masses. This is one of the major things that the Balsamtov did. The Balsamtov knew the Arizal backwards and forwards. He knew the Zohar backwards and forwards. And what he did is he created a simpler, more human relevant language to give over the deepest depths of Kabbalah. According to my teacher of Yitzhak Ginsburg, Hasidut in a sense is a further progression than Kabbalah itself. Because in, in, in many cases Kabbalah is not accessible to even the learned let alone the unlearned. The Baal Shem Tov took all the concepts of Kabbalah and he just served it up on a golden platter. And therefore it was incorporated into not only Hasidic thought but the Hasidic minhag. And he, he also took the minhagim of the Arizal and made it part and parcel of, of Hasidic life. As we know, Reb Shlomo did the same thing. He talked to his generation in the lingo and the idiom of our generation. And he translated the, the Ishvitzer, Rabbi Nachman, Chabad Hasidus, the Arizal, and he made it like, like you didn't have to know an Allah from a Bet, and he was re- revealing the deepest secrets in the world. So as an educational model, this is also very important. An example is I was teaching seventh grade in, in Denver at a Jewish school. And it was time to, to teach Megillah to Esther. It was around Purim time. So it was a month before and I announced, we're going to learn Megillah Esther. Oh, no. I said, what's wrong? We learned that last year, and the year before, and the year before. I said, wow, so you must know everything about Megillah Esther. Yeah, we've heard it all. So I said, well, did you know that? I, I took some Midrash or some Hasidus about Purim. I said, no, never heard that. I said, well, did you know that? Oh, we didn't hear that. I said, ah, maybe you haven't heard everything about Megillah. But you know what? They were right. What they were taught in sixth grade was probably exactly what they were taught in fifth grade, which is probably exactly what they were taught in fourth grade, which is exactly what they were taught in third grade. You know, they, they were right. Their complaint was true. So the Baal Shem Tov came and he opened up Kabbalah because he felt this is what the world needs. It says in the Zohar that Mashiach will come on the merit of learning the, the deepest secrets that are revealed in the Zohar. And according to Hasidus, the learning of Hasidus is redemptive in its very nature. 
It's not just learning and it's, it's great, but it actually brings that redemptive energy into the world. And therefore, that's why you have today the interest in Kabbalah is enormous now. Because this is one of many, 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 many signs of the drawing close of the Messianic era. This is one of a very important sign. And so therefore, in an educational model, we, we have to go to the depths. And it doesn't matter if we're talking about 6th grade or 8th grade or 11th grade or college campuses or adults who don't know so much Torah. We should go right to the deepest depths. That's what will touch people's, either their minds or their hearts, or both. People want something deep. Prof. Shlomo used to say about secular Israelis, he said, don't think for a second that they don't want Torah. He said, but Israelis are so real, if you don't give them something real and deep and meaningful, they don't want any part of it. But if you give them something really deep, they'll, they'll grab it. And he said this years ago, and as you, you may know, there's an enormous awakening over the last 10, 15 years in Israel. Enormous, especially, especially among the Sephardic communities whose parents and grandparents are deeply traditional. But the kids, you know, wandered off a little bit. And now they, they, they want that tradition again. But the, the interest in Israel is, is enormous. The Baal Shem Tov, also one of the main teachings, was the importance of community. Perhaps he modeled it on the, the community around Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. And they were called the Chavraya HaKadisha, the Holy Chavra. It's not, it's not by accident that Reb Shlomo began calling the circle around the Holy Brothers or the Chavra, right? The Chavra. Right? The, be- the holy beggars or the chavra. It's mentioned over and over in the Zohar Kodesh that the inner circle around Rabbi Shimon was called the Chavraya Kedisha and the way Rabbi Shimon gave it over they all felt like they were learning together. It was obvious that Rabbi Shimon was the, the teacher, the Rebbe. But nonetheless, he made everyone feel like they were part of the Chevra. And that's what Reb Shlomo did. I, I remember at, at hundreds of teachings at the Moshav that after he gave over what he gave over, he would all, always ask, Chevra, I want to hear Torah from you. And he would call on people and, and he wanted to hear Torah. He wanted to hear people's Torah. He wanted to make everyone feel they were part of, of, of the community. 
And he especially, especially would call on the women because he wanted, he wanted to empower women in the learning of Torah and the teaching of Torah. And we see this in the Baal Shem Tov also that one of his main Talmidim was his daughter, Udo. From Udo, Udo gave birth to Fegi. And Fegi gave birth to Rabbi Nachman. So Rabbi Nachman comes through Udo. And it was Udo who accompanied Rabbi, uh, the Baal Shem Tov on his one attempt to make it to Eretz Yisrael. He had his Shamish and Udo. Again, sometimes we think we can only create a sense of community in informal education. But that's not true. Even within a classroom, within a synagogue, we must create community. People are hungry to belong to something greater than themselves. That's why people feel close to family. But sometimes even family is not enough. People want to feel part of something, want to contribute, want to receive, want to care, want to expand their horizons, and want, want, want to share with other people. Chaverim call Yisrael. So this sense of community for an educator is crucial. I know through our work with Or Chadash, where we tell we have hundreds and hundreds, thousands of students coming for Shabbos, and at the end of almost every program, we say our our purpose is not just to have great events, a great Shabbatonim, but our purpose is to create relationships. And we invite the students, like, please stay in touch. Please come for Shabbos again. Please make us part of your lives. Please let us make you part of our lives. And Baruch Hashem, over the years, we have seen so many students move to Israel or come back to learn in yeshiva or come visit. And then they get married and then they have children. And... We try to create an, an extended family feeling. So any like Chabad, Shaliach, anyone who's working in outreach knows this is this is this is what people long for. This is what people want is relationships. Then there's the idea of we'll call it creating a moment. Anyone who's involved in education knows the importance of creating moments. It's said about the Baal Shem Tov that when he used to teach, his students could swear that they heard the shofars of Har Sinai. In other words, the Baal Shem Tov created such a atmosphere that it was as if they were standing at Mount Sinai. So in our generation, there, there was no one who could create a moment like Rav Shlomo. That pinnacle moment, that climatic experience. 
like Reb Shlomo. And educators need to learn how to do this. I, I, I taught last night, and actually one of my students, I'm very, very proud of him, is now out in Long Island doing outreach. And his wife is doing a Malava Malka with a, a couple of teenage girls. And he, he said, what are we supposed to do? It's a very small community. It's like, there are like three or four girls. And they're coming over Motsi It's like, what is she supposed to do with them? So I said, whatever you do, make it fun. Make it fun. If not, you're going to scare them away. Make their first experience fun. And then that will break down the walls. Okay, the next thing is what I'll call bold initiatives. The Baal Shem Tov, I keep on using the expression burst on the scene, but I use that, I use that uh, purposely because he really came to shake things up. And I think he did it very, very consciously because he knew things need to be shaken up. Everything is too rote. Everything's too much in thinking inside the box. And so he, he, he took bold initiative. And he did it through the way he, he davened. He did it the way he told stories. These were, like, different. These were radically different. He did it how he created community. He did it how he... He put in the idea of Fabrengen. The Baal Shem Tov began the idea of getting people together and, you know, a few lachayans, a few songs, opening up, sharing. These were bold initiatives. The Sudat Shlishit, the Sudat Mashiach, initiated a whole new Suda, the last Suda of Pesach. Never, it never happened before. Just like the Kabbalists of Sfat initiated Kabbalat Shabbat. There was no Kabbalat Shabbat until 500 years ago. There was no Tu B'Shvat Seder. Both of these things came from the Kabbalists of Sfat. So Reb Shlomo's House of Love and Prayer was a bold initiative. It's not like he thought, sat down and okay, I have to come up with a bold initiative. It just, it, it just happened, but that's what it was. The Moshav in Israel was a bold initiative. His going to the Soviet Union and then to Poland, that was a bold initiative. And therefore, in education, this is critical to hold the interest of, of students, young and old, are new ideas. Baruch Hashem, in the last 10, 15, 20 years in Kiruv, there have been many, many wonderful, bold initiatives. Birthright is an incredibly bold initiative. So, ah, every Every young Jew should come to Israel for free. If we can't, if, if we can't get them any other way, good fault. 
That's what we need now. We need people with tremendous imagination. And the Baruch Hashem, there's, there's hundreds of small, bold initiatives and communities everywhere now. But this is what's needed. Learners' minions. Right? When they first started. Or make Friday night Shabbos. Or all these different things. There's, like I said, there's a hundred uh, small and big initiatives. Two more. The importance, it's connected to the first thing we said. The importance of relating to each individual with your whole heart and soul. This actually comes from, from Mishle, Shlomo Melech, that you, you educate according to the nature of of the child but as always things look good on paper it's how do we implement them and as we know Rip Shlomo if he was talking to you he was there a hundred percent if you see him five years later he remembers your name he remembers where he saw you he remembers what you were even talking about and the Baal Shem Tov, it was, it was said that when he used to tell a story, every single person in the room thought he was telling that story because of them. And Reb Shlomo had also this talent that, I, wow, he's talking right to me. Right to me. Right what I need right now. So for an educator... This is the only only way to do it. Because as, we, as we've been saying all along, people want warmth, people want relationship, people want family, people want to belong. And so therefore, it depends on the educator reaching out this way. I'm just mentioning one last thing, and this is Eretz Yisrael. The Baal Shem Tov tried to come to Eretz Yisrael. This was a bold initiative. His students, the Rebbe of Vitebsk, brought 300 families to Eretz Yisrael. The Baal Shem Tov started something. When he tried to come to Eretz Yisrael, it wasn't like he, he, he was going on holiday. He felt it's time to come back to Eretz Yisrael. He put Eretz Yisrael back on the radar screen. Rabbi Nachman, his great-grandson, succeeded and he made it to Eretz Yisrael. The Baal Shem Tov didn't succeed. But the fact that he tried speaks volumes of what he was trying to accomplish. And as you know, Rabbi Shlomo not only spoke about Eretz Yisrael, many, many, many concerts that he gave, especially in Europe. He would begin the concert by saying, I'm bringing you, I'm bringing you greetings from Jerusalem, the holy city. And he always kept his watch on Jerusalem time. Like Rabbi Nachman said, anywhere I'm going, I'm going to Eretz Yisrael. And today... This is so important. This is so important. We live in Israel. 
we speak from that perspective. And the, the last few years have been extremely difficult, so things are much better. But the first two years, from 2000 to 2002, was horrendous. And during those years, most Israelis felt that world Jewry had kind of forgotten them. Two years ago, people started waking up, and a lot more support has been coming. But I have to tell you, just because things are a little bit quieter now, and we have a little bit of the upper hand, Israel is still in tremendous, tremendous physical and spiritual danger right now. And like the Baal Shem Tov began, and like Reb Shlomo preached, we really have to make Eretz Israel a, a, a central part of our, our consciousness. And for educators, Eretz Israel has to be on the agenda. And I'm not talking about politics here. I'm not talking left wing. I'm not talking right wing. I'm not talking this personality, that personality, this policy or that policy. The people and the land of Israel need support. And Eretz Israel is the heart and soul of the Jewish people. And this must be broadcast far and wide. So just just to wrap it all up, is we need to take Rav Shlomo's teachings, of which the music was the vehicle, and to be able to really take those teachings and put them in the world.